Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, with Thomas P. Dorian. Hello. Sidekick. Yes, sir. Wingman. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. You know what? I need to have you here today. Why is that? My knees are knocking just a little bit. <laughs> you know? Are you nervous? Because we're going to talk about the devil. It's awesome. Whenever you talk about the devil, you know, I, I go to scary movies every once in a while. I'd like to limit that. It's kind of like, to me, it's like roller coasters or something like that. I'm actually one I of those like guys. It a little bit. I don't like it at all. You don't like it? Oh, I do not go. Well, I don't, don't like scary don't movies. Like I just don't like to be scared. You don't like to be scared? I don't. I know. Wow. So you probably don't look in the mirror ever, do you? <laughs> that was like a softball. Man, I like walked right into that, there. didn't I? Golly, <laughs> well, Tom. Look, I, I think it's important that people understand about diabolical activity. That sounds so You're bad. Right. You know, we're not talking about the diabolical plans of like the Joker versus Batman or something. Right. We're talking about where that the root of that word and where it comes from. Sure. A Diablo, you know, and the whole devil thing. So we're going to talk about that. And we brought in a, uh, I'll say an expert. We did indeed. Anybody who's got a PhD at the end of their name. Makes them an expert. It, well, it makes them charge a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, typically, but not, but not in this case. We, In fact, we know he doesn't because he's a humble, permanent deacon. Yes. And this is a, a Deacon Dominic Serrato. Uh, deacon Dominic, thank you so much for being here with us. Deacon Dominic is, uh, he's a permanent deacon. He's from the Diocese of Steubenville. Steubenville's in Ohio. Great place. Uh, and he's also the director of diaconal ministries which is a ministry for deacons and those they serve so it's a ministry all about the diaconate but really it also helps people understand their own call to diaconia right and participating when they're baptized into the diaconate of christ that's right right so uh deacon dominic thank you for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth of the catholic cafe well it's a pleasure to be here with both of you and so, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that we start off by saying uh, and recognizing the fact that we've actually had this corner booth exercised. Uh, you know, there's been blessed salt and everything. So, so we're kind of protecting this little, we're like in the uh, the little the little bubble, that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the cone of silence or whatever they have, <laughs> Agent 99. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. But, uh, you know, we, we joke a lot about the devil. And I think it's interesting to note that I think most people in the world think there is no devil. If you ask them, they're thinking, well, you know, that's like an old... Uh, wives' tale or an image that was created to kind of scare you into acting right. Right, right. Yeah, there's two extremes to avoid. One is to simply see the devil around every corner, but the other one is to uh, believe the devil does not exist. Yeah. And and our Catholic teaching, the patrimony of our faith, the scriptures, all speak about the role of the devil, and he's the prince, Jesus says, of this world. So he does exist, and it's important for us to understand it within the context of our faith, within the context of the mystery of salvation. Then... It be, while still being scary, it's not so scary because Jesus is the victor. Well, no, and that's a great message, overarching, you know. And and I guess you can tune out now. You don't have to listen to the radio program anymore because We're yes, done. there's a devil, but it's okay. Jesus already won. And and I know you know it's more a little more intricate than that. We sure, gotta, we got to talk about some stuff here because first of all, we have to sort of dismantle this idea that there is no devil mm-hmm. or there is really nothing to worry about uh, because you say the devil's there. The church teaches that Satan exists. And is real. Uh, And yet some people think, well, so what's the big deal? I mean, isn't he like trapped down in hell or something? You know, does he does he have any kind of effect on our world today? And that's what we need to talk about now, I think. Right. There is a major effect. In fact, there is a pre 
original sin to our original sin, which is the fall of the angels, God giving the angels free will. And they chose not to serve, not to be in company with God. And it says in the book of Revelation that they were driven down to earth. So the domain of Satan, what Jesus calls the prince of this world, is here right among us. Although we don't see him, his presence is nonetheless felt in palpable ways often. Right. So uh, quoting the Wizard of Oz you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. He's here, and he's he's pulling strings, and he's involved, and he's doing things. Uh, so we need to be concerned. We may not see him physically. Sometimes, I guess we do in manifestations, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we, we need to know that he's here and that he's active. And so, Deacon, what what are they? What is he doing? Well, he's trying to undermine the plan of God, which, of course, he cannot do. He's already lost well, the battle. That's a nice way of saying he hates God. Oh, he hates, he hates God. God's but, plan of salvation. But, he hates people. He hates anything good. But this is a hate way beyond even our understanding of the worst kind of hate. This is a scorched earth. He knows he's lost. He knows he only has a limited amount of time, and he's going to take everyone down. It's his way of getting back at God. So we have rebellion on a level far beyond what we experience here on earth. To be sure, we have our own rebellion and we call that sin but what satan brings to the table is much much deeper much more insidious which is why things like temptation uh, are very very dangerous to the spiritual life because often we're not aware of it it's a cancer we do not see and therefore we don't treat now do you think sometimes to some degree uh everyone just thinks when we talk about the devil the first thing they go to instantly is like being possessed by the devil we hear that expression all the time uh, you know, the uh, right. The, you, movie. you, the movies we see Hollywood, uh, you know, and it's interesting to me. I think sometimes that uh, even though ho- Hollywood might uh, blow things up and out of proportion and maybe make things look like they really aren't, uh, but maybe make you think that that's what the, the way they are. But the reality is, there's there's some pretty. I heard you recount a specific experience you had in your mm-hmm. in your diaconal ministry uh, that you experienced personally. And as you were you were telling the story, I thought. He's just this is like a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen this movie, and so sometimes the movies aren't so wrong, right? Sometimes they get part of it right, but they don't contextualize it right. So for those of us who experience this kind of thing, we contextualize it within the mystery of salvation and Christ's triumph over sin and death. And that way, it makes sense to us. All of those things that you see in the movies, quite often they happen. And in fact, they're much more scarier when you're right directly yeah. seeing when you it. Realize you, know, it's not a movie. you know, the head isn't totally spinning around, but it's doing something it shouldn't ordinarily do. The face changes. The voice changes. Those are all real. But again, they're rare. I don't want to sort of lift them up out of all of the other demonic activity and say, oh, look at that. Because there's so much more he does that's much more insidious than that. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about. So you, you, we have this idea of possession, and that's what gets everyone's attention. Sure. Right? In fact, you, you had an experience. Tell us just a, a snippet of what happened to you one time when you experienced when some young man wanted to come and talk, and he felt like he was, I think I'm possessed. Yeah, there was a young man who uh, came to Mass one day. Actually, he came after Mass. It was an evening Mass, and he um, was very upset and concerned. I sat down with him, and he explained that he had been involved in the occult. Uh, His uncle was involved in ritual sacrifice. He had been hearing voices, doing terrible things to his family. Now, immediately, I'm not thinking automatically diabolical, but uh, the flags certainly go up. And and by the way, none of us are really trained well, and prior Mm. to that, I wasn't trained well. But you don't have to be a butcher to smell bad meat. You don't have to be an exorcist. (laughs) 
to realize that there's something going on here. Uh, and after some discussion, I asked if he'd like to pray, uh, and he said yes. So the, the uh, priest that was available was a Nigerian priest, and we went in and prayed with this man, the Nigerian man filling up his holy water bucket, you know, and I'm thinking, well, what's that all about, right? And uh, we start praying. The man begins to, the young boy begins to twitch, and he begins to say curses, and he begins to spit, and his face begins to change. He, he contorts his body in ways that were just profound. He begins attacking me. We hit him with the holy water, and I have a great respect for holy water more than I ever oh, had wow. because it really was like like throwing acid on him. I mean, he screamed and cried uh, with his holy water. Um, long story short, he comes out of it, goes back into it again, begins talking in different languages to us, and then he turns to me and tells me in, in Latin, he speaks to me in Latin and I hear the word death, and he looks at me and he says, and you can't even pray in Latin. And a day or two earlier, I'm getting dressed in the morning, and I'm, I'm saying my prayers, and I'm talking to God, and I'm saying, you know, of all the Latin I know, I really can't pray well in Latin. He knew that, and he turned to me. Hmm. Uh, long story short, we were able to calm him down, bring him to his mother, but unless that person... Uh, which clearly manifested aspects of mm-hmm. a diabolical possession. The things he did, the things he said, cannot be accounted for psychologically, although there may be psychological maladies associated with it. Unless he's willing to do something, or in this case his mother was able to do, want to do something, the church really can't do anything. It's like you go to the doctor with a problem, but unless you're willing to, to treat it, there's not much the doctor can do. Mm-hmm. Now, that had to scare you. Scared? Well, I didn't sleep uh, with the lights off for a while, yeah. uh, as though the demons were really worried. <laughs> uh, no, it did scare me, and it scared me on a number of levels. While I was trained as a theologian, um, and while I have all these, this postgraduate work, very little training in there and my diaconal formation was focused on that. And so I felt ill-prepared which is why I sought permission from my bishop to go to Rome and learn a little bit more about this. Right, not to become an exorcist, no, but to be aware no. of all these things, because it needs to be a priest in these situations. But, but, but as a deacon, and you encounter this stuff, you want to know more about it well, and understand, right? I, I, yeah, because you, you know, if you're ignorant, you simply don't know. And the pastoral heart of the church wants to reach out to this person, right. but you have to reach out in a way that's appropriate to that. So it was important that I understand it on two levels, certainly first as a deacon, um, but second as a theologian. I want I wanted to understand this within the context of God's mystery of salvation. I wanted to understand this not as something we hide in the closet, but part and parcel of the church's pastoral practice. And I also wanted to help other deacons and other people understand this better so that they can see this insidious cancer we call evil in the person of the devil and his demons and seek the proper remedies for that. And there are proper remedies. There are. Right? And that's important for us to remember. And certainly all those scary manifestations, all the things that happen with the, with the guttural sounds of the voice and the cursing and the, the facial contortions and things levitating and all these things that can happen mm-hmm. in, that, in that context... Now, those aren't just because that's the language of the devil. That's just no, how he no. operates. And What's he trying to do to he, the exorcist or the person who's praying? Well, he's trying to scare them yeah. away. I mean, look, not, when somebody is possessed, um, they may not manif- They will often not manifest all the time. There's almost no case where they're manifesting all the time. Um, but they'll feel a heaviness. They'll also experience all kinds of other demonic activity. But when they begin to manifest, that's often when you start to pray. And this is very, very frightening, but it's also a sign that the demons are in a, in a state of distress because they know now they may lose the possession of that person. Mm-hmm. And I often tell deacons and others who pray with people and begin to manifest, stop. 
you're not prepared to deal what comes after oh, that. Oh, yeah, don't, don't just go down do, the path do thinking, not, I, can, I got this, honey, I got it. You know, and, and, and yes, I take nothing away from the universal call to holiness and even lay people who have some gifts in this area, but it's the power of the church, Jesus Christ, in acting in and through his mystical body that's going to help this person. You're an EMT. You've got to get them to the hospital. You've got to get them to the surgeon. You can't do it alone. And the devil would like you to think that you can do it alone, but you're only going to hurt yourself and the other person. Yeah. What happened when you put the holy water on the, oh, on the kid? Oh, he screamed. He screamed. Uh, and, and actually, he was writhing on the floor and grabbed the carpet and pulled it over him. Mm. Um, but what it effectively did was to, was to get him out of a, an offensive posture. Um, and to and to keep him at bay, and I was very uh, very uh, that was very important. At one point, when he begins manifesting a second time, the priest goes to hit him with the holy water again. But unfortunately, it had run out. The priest didn't recognize that, and the the, the person who was possessed said, "You're out." And he said, "He said, no, I'm not. He said, You're out." And so the priest has to reload, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we can go on. But it was a very very effective way. And, and by the way, it shows the power of the sacramental. The thing doing what the thing is supposed to do. The sacraments always doing what they're supposed to do, and um, uh, so again, I have a new respect for holy water that I that I implicitly knew, but now explicitly know. Always keep some holy water around you. Amen. Tom. That's what we need to learn about <laughs> yeah. the, on, on that front. We have lots more to talk about in terms of diabolical activity in the church and and, and what the church is uh, is here to do on earth. Uh, we'll do that in a second. Before we come back, I do want to remind folks at home we have a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And unless the devil prevents you, please come back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. How do we determine that we are following God's will? Perhaps if it is virtuous, then God wants us to do it. But if it is a pious, good, and virtuous act, is that enough to tell us that God has willed it to be done, and it is what he wants for us? This can get tricky. But St. Ignatius of Loyola can help. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish saint born in the late 15th century who became the principal founder and the first superior general of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius devised a simple test for determining God's will in our lives. He tells us that we must look at the fruits of what we are doing. That will tell us whether or not God willed it to be done. If it has good fruits, peace, harmony, and happiness, then it is more likely that we are following the will of God. If it has bad fruits, discord, pain, and disharmony, then it is more likely that we are not properly discerning God's will in our lives. A man wakes at 4 a.m. every day and spends four hours in prayer, which would ordinarily be viewed as a virtuous act. But if he is married, he may encounter a wife who becomes angered by the fact that he is no longer helping her get the household ready for the day, making breakfast and bathing and dressing the children. St. Ignatius would tell us that because of the bad fruits of his morning ritual, the upset wife, the disharmony in the household, the man might be being influenced by the evil one, Satan, who often comes to us in the guise of light. St. Ignatius would suggest that if the same man prayed the same amount, but at times of the day more in accord with his family's schedule, the fruits might very well include a more harmonious household and a happier wife. 
Thus, St. Ignatius would tell us that this was truly following the will of God. So often in our daily lives, we need affirmation that the road we have chosen was indeed the one that God had intended us to take. While the world may tell us one thing about the choices we make, the fruits of those choices cannot lie. We need only to take the time to examine our actions and their results to determine if God was truly served in carrying them out. Because of his life dedicated to the good fruits of a faith-filled life in Christ, St. Ignatius was canonized a saint in the year 1622. His feast day is July 31st. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And it's a scary kind of a booth here, Tom. It is. But we always have to trust and know that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. Amen. Maybe a little scary ride, a couple bumpy rides here and there. But uh, we're talking about uh, just the diabolical activity in the world. We have Deacon Dominic Serrato here. He's a permanent deacon of the Diocese of Steubenville. Uh, and also the uh, the purveyor of diaconal ministries. We can find that on diaconalministries.org, right? All one word, diaconal, D-I-A-C, diaconal ministries, all one word, dot org. Uh, and you actually have a presentation, I think, on this topic, a little more expanded talk that you did at some point in time that's on that website. Is that, is that correct? If someone wanted to kind of check in to see that? Oh, sure. Uh, the website will have that talk broken down into three parts. Oh, good. So we can, uh, you can digest it uh, a little bit at a time. If you get too scared, you know, go to the refrigerator, get a glass of milk, whatever. <laughs> that's right. Go to mass, whatever you need to do. Uh, so, all right. So, you know, we make light of this to some degree, but it's some pretty serious stuff. Uh, but I guess, you know, that experience you had where you, you experienced this firsthand and, and you know, it's real. Right, you you know it's real because what's what's unfolding before you is there's no way it's not natural it's supernatural it's outside of this our realm of experience, and yet sometimes you also might encounter something that's not actually diabolical. That's correct, and it's important to understand that there are things that are purely psychological, there are things that are clearly diabolical, but often the devil hides in the two. And uh, you can do a lot of damage if you are ministering, apart from the church, to someone you believe has uh, a diabolical activity within them, and yet they don't. They have a psychological problem, so you're compounding that as well. And that's why the church cares for the whole person. And that's why in an evaluation by a bishop, he brings in physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, all sorts of people to be able to help the whole person, even after the diabolical activity ceases, there's still a person that needs to be slowly healed back because you don't want the demons to return. Right, in and their you, weakness or yeah, that's, whatever. That's correct. But often is the case with the diabolical activity gone, now psychological counseling can have better effect. Mm. Beautiful. Now, again, we, we've spent half of a show talking about essentially possession, the devil possessing someone. Really, though, that's not necessarily the, the most dangerous aspect of diabolical activity or its most dangerous effect on our, on our world, is it? Probably the biggest problem or the biggest uh, in, um, impact of the devil today is in the area of temptation. Think of it as a pyramid, a big base, a wide base, and that would be temptation. This is ordinary. So temptation is on the bottom down on there. On the bottom. Not because it's least important, because it's most pervasive. That's correct. That's correct. It'll affect more people. 
people. Everyone experiences temptation this side of heaven. We all right. do. Even Christ experienced temptation, although he never fell. We fall to temptation. And here is why it's most insidious at the bottom, because we have our free will. Sin requires something that's grave matter, free, uh, full knowledge, and free will. If we have free will, we choose the sin, we bring the evil within us, and in some cases, as in the case of mortal sin, destroy our relationship with God, or at least break that relationship, and it needs reparation through the sacrament of reconciliation and so forth. So temptation is pervasive around us. And in fact, I would argue today even more so by virtue of the media around us, where you're going to a news site and there you see you know, a woman scantily clad. It has nothing to do with the news, but it's an advertisement off to the side. Right. There are so many things, what do they say, three clicks on the internet to pornography and so forth and so on. It's pervasive around us. And so there is great temptation around us. Then, of course, as you get up that pyramid, and, and there are different categories and different authors will have them in different ways, but you begin experiencing things from the outside, a kind of infestation. You might experience writing on the walls, things moving, that kind of thing. So they're happening on the outside of you, not directly touching you. Moves up the ladder again to a level where things are touching you, pushing you, moving you around. And that can happen because you're open to the occult or, as in the case of some saints, they were beaten by the by the by the demons, right. and, and then you know you move up to where then it moves into the mind, you know, uh, where you get into obsession, and that's very very dangerous. And then you move up to the top of the pyramid, which is possession. But as you move up, you have less freedom. Without the freedom, you don't have the possibility of sin, at least not the same way. You may be partially culpable, but not fully culpable. Right. But Satan wants your soul, so his best activity is at the lower level. Mm-hmm. One could say, in a certain sense, that possession is a diabolical temper tantrum. From a, from a being who is so self, you know, turns into himself, right. so prideful. Yeah. prideful. So, so we need to be wary of the whole temptation thing and realize, now, not all temptation, though, is from the devil. That's correct. Right. You know, obviously, our original sin, which was instigated by the devil's activity, but our original sin, our fall to original sin, actually has uh, lasting effects on us, even though it's forgiven in our baptism and washed away in our baptism. There's still that tendency, isn't there, to, to fall into sin. That's right. That's right. So while baptism, by virtue of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection, removes original sin, brings us into the life of the church, concupiscence, or the tendency to sin, remains. And that's because the completion of redemption will happen when Christ comes again. So we're, we're fallen yet redeemed. And therefore, we're open into things. But you bring up a great point. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Certainly give the devil his due, but not all of the evil in the world occurs as a result right. of the devil. And we have to be careful not to see devil around every, every corner. corner. corner Because he's not open there, and, and that's an easy way for me to say, well, the devil made me do it. Yeah. Uh, well, the devil doesn't make you do anything. Well, in possession, of course, he does. But if he does, you're not responsible, you're not culpable. And therefore, you've, you cannot sin while being uh, possessed in a manifested state. Yeah, but you can't also use the, the excuse of possession to get yourself out of a sin. I doubt you stand in front of the judge and say, look, I was possessed. I, yeah. I, and I, I know people have tried that, and they still go to jail. That's right. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, the, the judge is not going to make the distinctions we're making here. Exactly. But we need to be aware of the fact that, that in our, our human frailty, if we're not aligning ourselves or, or essentially sitting at the foot of the cross. Yes. Right, that, that we we can, this whole idea of going into a confessional and we and we say our active contrition that talks about the near occasion of sin mm-hmm. that's that's serious. Yes, 
Yes. Right? We need to be aware of the near occasion of sin and avoiding the near and occasion. That, that, that's so beautiful in our Catholic tradition, avoiding the near occasion of sin, because it engages the intellect to say, look, you know, if I walk down that alley, um, you know, I'm liable to do the drugs down in that alley because I'm trying to recover, so let's not walk down that alley. So most definitely, but there, there's a host of remedies that are absolutely powerful, that are absolutely ordinary, that Catholics can participate in to keep them away from the openness of this. The, you know, recourse to the sacraments, especially the sacrament of reconciliation. People stay away for years and years from the sacrament of reconciliation and yet go to the Eucharist. Well, you're not going to be open to, especially if you're in the state of state, and you should never go to the Eucharist in that state. So you're not going to benefit from the right. Eucharistic graces there. It's actually a profanation to do that. The sacrament of reconciliation, but regular prayer, the reading of scriptures, fellowship, all of these things mitigate the temptations that we have. And so there are ordinary, you don't, you have to get a, you know, an exorcist in to help you with temptation. Follow the regime of the church. Try to live a life, even if we right. falter, there's remedy. You're closing a lot of doors to the devil when absolutely. you do that. Oh, absolutely. He hates the sacrament of reconciliation. Yeah. The, also, recourse to the saints. He hates the Blessed Mother, St. Michael and the saints. And so these wonderful Catholic things that we grew up with, they didn't fall away. Mm-hmm. They're available to us. We just have to avail ourselves to them. And you know, and that's so powerful to know that we have all these arrows in our quiver. They've been given to us, right? All the tools of the trade, as it were, of being Catholic. And that's why I guess, you know, in some of these situations, I've seen situations or read about them where someone who was not Catholic, it's amazing how many people kind of turn now back to, okay, I don't know if I believe all that stuff, but I need to go here. Something, I, I sense something here, not only beautiful, but something powerful. Yes, that's right. Uh, I've been in, in my parish, one of my parishes, where uh, we had a request from a local Methodist minister who said, look, we're, we're having some problems here, and we just don't know how to deal with it. Can you help us to deal with this kind right. of thing? And that's because it's deeply rooted in our tradition, and it really comes from the Jewish tradition of exorcism, but now made more powerful by virtue of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection, and a continuous line to our present where all of that revelation is drawn up through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we need to go now. We don't leave people here uh, listening to the Catholic Cafe thinking all is lost. It's all no. over now. The no. devil's here. He's everywhere. He's going he's gonna to take me. And the truth is we have to understand that Christ has already won the battle. That's, that's absolutely correct. You see, that's the different context. Because as, as Catholics, we understand in the revelation of Christ, an exorcism is about Christ's triumph. You see, it's not about the devil. It's about his loss and Christ's triumph. You know, when people hear about this, they get scared. Just pray. God's going to protect you. Go to the sacraments. Don't worry about it. Allow it to uh, assume a place within your understanding of Catholicism that's balanced and integrated and not raised up and frighten you. Have faith in Christ. Amen. Deacon Dominic Serrato, thank you for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So we should end the program in prayer. And what better prayer than the St. Michael prayer? Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend Defend us us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature.
If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.